Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to John 14. I know a lot of you think that was the sermon. Uh, I don't know if I'm happy to tell you or not tell you. Um, so this is my last Sunday preaching in this uh, building. Scott Holly preached the first sermon ever at Green Tree Community Church in the Bulldog Cafeteria, and I thought it was appropriate that he preached the last one. So Scott's going to be preaching next Sunday. So do not miss next Sunday. Um, it's going to be a great, uh, great Sunday. But, you know, everybody's kind of starting to get a little nostalgic. Uh, I ran into a friend out in the hallway last Sunday, and he was a little teary. And I'm like, you doing okay? He's like, yeah, that's the last time I'm going to ever use that hand dryer in the bathroom. It's just really kind of sad. <laughs> And, and I started laughing, and I kind of teared up. It was kind of sad. <laughs> you know. So there, there's this, this kind of sea of emotions, as close as I can figure. I went back and looked at it this week. I think this is my 704th sermon in this, in this room uh, over the years in the Bulldog Cafeteria. So I think there's, there's a little bit of sadness. And I look back and think about all the memories, and those of you that have, that have been here you know, at least a few years with us uh, can think back about things that you appreciate uh, and have enjoyed, or, or you know, moments that have been you know less than exciting. I, I remember in February of '99, I just started at Green Tree, and I remember sitting bolt up in bed in, in February. It was like the third Sunday in February, like three o'clock in the morning, and looked outside, and snow was just coming down like crazy. And I thought to myself, the school district probably isn't going to shovel that driveway until first thing Monday morning, and we're supposed to have church there in about, in about five hours. So I literally went driving around West County, Kirkwood and West County, until I found a guy with a, with a plow on the front of his truck that would take a personal check from a pastor of a church plant <laughs> of like 75 people. And that person did exist. I finally found him. But I think about moments like that. I think about our kids growing up at Green Tree. By the way, um, I sent out a note, but again, our server's down. My daughter, our daughter did have her baby this week, um, nine pounds, eight ounces. So um, yeah, you can applaud. Katie wasn't applauding at all. She was not excited about that. But, uh, but Mia uh, Kalani, Kalani in Hawaii means from heaven. Mia arrived on Wednesday and Cindy's out there and everybody's doing great. Uh, but I think about our own children, our three kids growing up here and what they experienced. And I uh, think about this being a place of, of salvation for folks who didn't know Jesus. And as Mike said, you know, even in a bulldog cafeteria, you can hear the gospel. I think it's been a safe place for a lot of people, hopefully, that have struggled with faith and with questions and have had moments of, of deep despair uh, just to come and to be around a group of people that just, you know, really want to love and follow Jesus and, and love each other. Um, a lot of tears, a lot of laughter. Uh, and, I, and our new home is, you know, there's a lot of exciting possibilities. Who knows uh, what God is going to do there? We know God's going to do a lot of things because we know what he's been doing. And so for me, it's kind of swirling emotions. We were praying this morning with a group, and I said, I just need prayer to focus because I, I feel like my, my brain is kind of everywhere this morning. So as I thought about, you know, what I wanted to say, um, Lord willing, this is not my last sermon at Green Tree. Hopefully, uh, God will allow me to be there in a couple of weeks and uh, uh, open up the new building with you. But just thinking about this milestone as we wrap up this week and next uh, at North Kirkwood Middle School, and I was uh, struck by what theologians call the now but not yet, uh, meaning that now, right now, today, as disciples, if you're a believer of Jesus, you are in Christ. That is secure. That's not going away. That's not going to change. You don't have to work hard to keep it. God has given it to you as a gift, and he's going to, he's going to make sure you get home okay. But the not yet is we're not yet home. 
So what should our lives look like in this in-between time as we seek to follow Christ and as we seek to follow Christ in a new place? That led me to John 14 where Jesus talked about going away and talking about coming back and what he was going to be doing in the meantime that was just of great assurance to me or reassurance to me. So that's what I want to share with you all this morning. John's Gospel, chapter 14. Uh, we're just going to look at the first seven verses this morning. Hear the Word of God. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Uh, he's going to be hanging from the cross in just a few hours. This is the night when uh, he's going to be betrayed to his enemies. And he says to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for, for Mike's exuberance. I thank you for the passion he has. How often he reminds me of what this is all about about people meeting Jesus. It's about the, the deepest and most profound questions of our lives being answered. So Lord, I pray for us as we, we simply go from one place to another to do that. And, it, and it's not simple. It's a big process. It's an expensive process. It's, it's a challenging process. But Lord, as you provide a way for us, as you uh, have clearly led us down this pathway, we pray that you would help us to be faithful to your calling in our lives as a church, not just as individuals, but collectively as a body of disciples in this community. So Lord, we need your word this morning as much as ever. We don't have the answers. You are the answer. The answer comes to us through the Lord Jesus, and I pray that you would teach us that this morning. Teach us that it's not so much about a place as much as it is about a relationship uh, from which we derive our security and our meaning for life. Father, forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of what you want to teach us this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So sermon in a sentence this morning is short and to the point. For disciples of Jesus, our home is not a place, it is a person. Disciples of Jesus, our home is not a place, but a person. I've got four observations in this text to try to help bring that out. The first is this that Jesus offers at the very beginning of this conversation a twofold command. Look with me at verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. There's the first command. Here's the second one. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus is saying to his disciples as he's looking at them and he's feeling the tension in the room rise more and more and more. They know that something's up. They know that they're in a difficult place. They know that this, this um, uh, kind of uh, confrontation between Jesus and his enemies seems to be coming to a head. They certainly can't look ahead and know what's going to happen later that night or, or the next day, but they, they feel the angst. They feel the anxiety. And Jesus says, don't fret. He says, stop being perplexed. Stop 
worrying. The disciples are, are struggling with a wavering faith in Jesus. Jesus has been the one whom they followed for three years now. Jesus has been the one that when he walks down the street and somebody says, would you heal me? Jesus says, yes, because you have faith, I'll heal you. And, and lame people get up and blind people can see. And deaf people can hear and mutes can speak. People that were dead are alive again. People that are filled with the demonic evil presence of Satan are set free from the spiritual oppression in which they face their, have been facing in their life. And it's all because of this one they're following. And yet now something seems to have gone terribly amiss. And here are the disciples that are, that are worried and they're anxious. And Jesus says, stop it. Think about that for just a minute. Jesus did know what was going to happen later on that night. Jesus did know what was going to happen the next day. He knew that the only way that you could be saved and I could be saved was through the cross. It wasn't going to happen because he thought well of us. It only was going to happen if there was a sacrifice offered for the sins that you've committed and the sins I've committed in offense of a holy and righteous God. And Jesus knew the awfulness of the cross. He could see it. He understood what was coming, and he looks around at his disciples and says, Guys, what are we worried about here? Stop being afraid. But then he gives them the reason why. Because somebody can say that to you, and it doesn't really help, right? Have you ever had, you know, you've been in a tough spot, and somebody says, Oh, don't worry about it. You're like, Gee, thanks for nothing, right? <laughs> you know, that, that really was helpful for me. And I, I love President Roosevelt. Well, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I understand that was a great speech, but quite frankly, there were a lot of stuff that America had to be afraid of at that particular moment. Not the, least of which, not the least of which was one of the greatest depressions the world had ever seen. So Jesus says, don't fret, but why? Here's what I don't want you to do. Don't fret, but here's what I do want you to do. Believe. Believe in God and believe in me. In other words, we're the same. I will never tell you unless I lose my mind or lose my way terribly to believe in me. If you ever hear me say that, find another pastor who doesn't, hasn't distorted the gospel. I'm telling you to believe in Jesus. I could never say believe in God, believe in Jesus, and believe in Tom, right? So when Jesus says that, he's putting himself on equal footing with God. Don't be disturbed. Now, this is an interesting point because a lot of people would say in their spiritual journey, if they're, if they're trying to figure out whether they have faith or, or in whom they're going, do I want to have faith in Jesus, do I want to have faith in the church, or do I want to have faith in another, another religion of some kind? The question really comes down to, does God care for me? Does God take notice of me? Is God there to, to help me in some way? If you go back uh, to the Greeks, if you go to the Epicureans, here's what they would say. Do not be disturbed. The gods, if they exist at all, do not take notice of you. <laughs> the Epicureans say, look, you're okay because even if there is a God, he's got bigger fish to fry than you, and so you're okay. And that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I'm right here with you in the flesh. God has come to meet with you face to face. He's not abandoning you to your sin, to your rebellion, to your brokenness, to sin and to death. He's going to save. And so Jesus says, you don't have to be afraid. Simply believe. But he follows that up with what I'm going to call my, in my second observation here is an everlasting assurance. Look at verses 2 through 4. The first thing Jesus says is that I'm, I'm going away, right? In verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The first thing Jesus says is, don't worry, believe in God, believe in me, and see you later. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving. You're like, what? Time out a second. What, how can that possibly 
be good news? Well, it's because Jesus is not just going away, but he's going away with a purpose. What did you say? I'm going to prepare to put the finishing touches on my father's house. Uh, I was walking around the building yesterday looking at all the finishing touches uh, that need to happen. There's not one trash can in that building right now, and uh, we got to have trash cans. And, and in, the, in the men's restroom on the main floor, there's a pipe that sticks out about that far, and it leads, as far as I can tell, to absolutely nowhere. There's a lot of little things that have to, have to be fixed and, and made ready for us, and Jesus is, is in that stage. I'm going to finish this preparation. I'm going to my father's house because there are, there are a lot of rooms there, and I'm going to get them ready. Why? I'm going to get them ready for you. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have, why would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? But I'm going to prepare a place for you. This is in Jesus' day. This is engagement type of language. So when a young Jewish man would, would uh, his parents would arrange the marriage, but then, then he would go and would talk to his betrothed, and he would say, now I'm going to go fix up a room in my father's house in which we live, and when I come back to get you for, uh, for moving in, that's the wedding day. That's when the festivity starts, when, when the room is ready. So this is engagement kind of language. Jesus is proposing to his bride, so to speak, to the, to the church. I remember when I proposed to Cindy, it was about the second week of April in 1981, and we were graduating the first week in May of 1981. So I thought, why don't we get married the second week of May? I mean, you don't need more than about a month to plan a wedding, right? I, I, have, I have some friends here who did a, did a wedding in four months, and they, they brag about, they, they think they hold the, the world's record for that, and they might, but when you, when you suggest that, and, and if you're thinking about proposing to somebody and you want to suggest to her that you do it in a month, let me just say, don't do that, okay? Just don't, that's a bad idea. Uh, I learned that that was a bad idea. So you want to have time. You, wanna, you have to get everything ready. There's preparation, and Jesus says, this is not about me abandoning you. I'm not leaving and you're not going to see me again. I'm going to get everything ready for us. And that's why we use this language of now but not yet. Jesus is, has secured our salvation, but it hasn't yet come to its complete fulfillment until we see him face to face. So Jesus not only says, I'm going away with a purpose to prepare my father's house for you, but he also says this, that you may be with me. Jesus is emphasizing there the relationship, not the dwelling place. So people ask all the time. I mean, I ask all the time, too. You know, what do you think heaven will be like? You know, you think there'll be like great golf courses in heaven? You know, what kind of, what kind of stuff will there be? And whatever you kind of like. If you like the ocean, you know, your picture of heaven is probably sitting by the ocean in a beautiful sunset, that sort of thing. If you're a mountain person, maybe it's, it's watching, you know, the sun come up over the, over the Rocky Mountains. Whatever your picture of heaven is, what will heaven be like? I don't know. The Bible gives us some pictures, but I do know this. The most amazing thing about heaven is not the place, it's the person. We will be in the presence of Jesus for all of eternity. The most exciting thing about a wedding is not the cool cake, right? It, it's, not, it, it, it's not, you know, the beautiful church. It, it's not how, you know, the, the bride looks that day. That, that's not the most beautiful thing about a wedding, what's the most beautiful thing about a wedding is that the two people are going to be together for a long, long time. And it's the relationship that we celebrate. It's the coming together, the intimacy, the, the lifelong friendship that's going to take place. 
you should reach out and hug your, your spouse right now. If you're married, you should just hold hands, give them a hug, and remember your wedding day. And if you fought on the way to church, just whisper in their ear, I'm sorry, it was my fault. Best thing for my marriage is being a pastor and never riding to church with Cindy. It really, that made it sound like Cindy was bad. I didn't mean it that way. So good thing she's in Hawaii right now. Um, but it's the relationship, being together, that Jesus offers in this everlasting assurance. And then he says something really interesting at the very end of it is this. In verse 4 he says, and by the way, you already understand this. Look, look at verse 4, right? Jesus says, um, yeah, I'm going to prepare a place you can be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Now, the question is, how did this assurance make the disciples feel? So Jesus says, here's what I'm doing, and by the way, you, you, you already understand this. Did the disciples jump right on and say, oh, yeah, Jesus, we, yeah, we just had a bad moment there. We're good. We understand. Everything you've said, we got it. We know what's going to happen. It's all good. Well, technically not. Thomas speaks for the group. Thomas liked to speak for the group. I found that to be true in my own life. Uh, so Thomas speaks up, and he gives an honest uh, answer, and he, and he offers some honest anxiety, right? Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? You know, Thomas listens to this, and, and his reaction is he's, he's none too happy. <laughs> like, Lord, I'm not sure if everybody else is getting it, and they're all going, you know, they're all behind him, not saying anything, but they're thinking, go, Thomas, go. You look bad, not me. Keep, you know, keep asking, because I don't know what he's talking about either, right? So he's, he, he's not very happy, and he say, could you come again? <laughs> could, could you run that bias? Why should we feel okay right now? You're going away and you're telling us that we know the way? I, I, are you going to another country? Are you going on vacation? Where are you going? I'm not following. You can hear the angst and the anxiety in Thomas's voice. I remember uh, probably about at least 10 years ago, no, probably about 12 years or so ago, Cindy and I were out in Arizona in February, and we took a, an evening sunset hot air balloon ride, which sounds great, doesn't it? It really, it doesn't sound really romantic and wonderful and just delightful. And, and I had all those images in my mind, too, until I got to the actual balloon, and the basket was about as big as that big old piece of blue. There were going to be like 30 of us in this hot air balloon. And the, and the balloon driver, I don't know which pilot, I guess, the balloon driver looked and acted just like Jimmy Buffett which doesn't leave you with a lot of, lot of assurance when you're getting in to the hot air balloon. And I kept saying, now, this is going to work, right? <laughs> and he kept saying, of course it's going to work. This is going to be great. I've done this, you know, hundreds of times. And like, what do I smell there? That's, I'm getting a little more nervous. But that's not a problem, right? Well, when you get right into the middle of it, it gets pretty serious. We ought not kind of chuckle at, at Thomas's answer because I think he speaks for a lot of us because these are... These are life and death issues, right? This isn't just a, a hot air balloon ride. I have a colleague that, that uh, lived in uh, Berkeley, California, and I use his name in the past tense. So I say a colleague that lived in Berkeley, California. He's a church planter, the guy that I partner with and do a lot of work in church planting for our denomination. And in, uh, in the middle of August, his doctor told him he had very serious pancreatic cancer, and one month later, he was gone, 67 years old. This serious stuff. This isn't just about feeling good. This isn't just about, you know, making our way through life and, and feeling like we're good church folk. This assurance is crucial. And I think Thomas speaks for all of us. We say, Lord, are you, are you sure you got this right? Please help us make sure we understand because we don't know the where. 
or the how if it's left to us. And I think Thomas's answer paints a picture of the human heart, which is frail and, and easily disturbed. And I would put myself right next to him. But that brings me to my, my fourth observation in this text, which is one of the most amazing verses in Scripture. Jesus gives a complete correction. He helps Thomas think in, in the right way. He doesn't say, Thomas, I can't believe, you know, it's been all this time and you haven't gotten it. Jesus looks him in the eye, says, Jesus said to him, right? So here's Thomas going, I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. And Jesus says, Thomas, look at me. Look right here. Let me tell you something. Verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says to Thomas, look at me. What do you see? Here's what you should see. The first thing you should see is the way to God. I am the way in which God has come to speak to man. And I am also the priest that goes before God and speaks for God on your behalf. That's what the cross is all about. So there is a pathway for you to eternal life this morning. There's a pathway for me to eternal life this morning. And, and this isn't the nostalgic part. In two weeks when we move over to our new building, we're going to be saying exactly the same message because it's eternally true. Jesus is the way. It is through him that we experience salvation. But Jesus also reminds Thomas how trustworthy he is. He says, Thomas, I am the way, but I'm also the personification of truth. If you're worried about God pulling a fast one on you, if you're worried about God saying one thing and then doing something else, stop worrying. God is completely true. He's completely honest. There is no lie found within God. There's no darkness. There's no confusion. And there is no error, which is both comforting but also challenging. When Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me, he means that. There aren't 50, 60, 70 roads that lead to God. There's one, and it's through Jesus. But praise God that he was honest enough and truthful enough to tell us that so that we too could put our faith in Christ. Where does the way and the truth lead us? It leads us to life. Perfect, ongoing communion with God. It is that for which we are created. The most natural thing for you and me for all of eternity will be to be in relationship with God. Uh, uh, Mike was talking about Porter earlier. Michael Porter's our business manager, if you haven't met him. And, uh, and they have three uh, adopted kids in their family, and they have two girls and a little boy. And the little boy's name is Jackson. And Jackson's the greatest little guy you've ever met in your life. But, but Porter, uh, thank goodness, has understood a correct upbringing for him, and he's got him playing hockey. Um, and those of you that don't have your children playing hockey, I don't know why you would, would, would hold, withhold that from them. But uh, Porter put a picture of, and, and Jackson's about yay tall right now, and he put a picture of him on Facebook at 715 at Kirkwood Rink yesterday in the Learn to Play program. Uh, and I wrote in there, way to go, Porter, you know, way to go, Jackson. You're, you're a picture of hockey perfection. He's got his knees bent, his head up. He's doing everything the right way, right? He just looks like it ought to be. You want to know what your life ought to be? You don't know what the person's life ought to be next to you, on both sides of you, the person in front of you and behind you. What we ought to be is in perfect relationship with God. But we mess that up. We sin and we, we, we rebel. We said to God, we'd rather go a different direction. And if God doesn't bring us back, then we are lost. We were made for God. 
You ever said that to uh, maybe your kids married somebody and you looked at the spouse and you really were so excited about the person that had come into, your, come into their life? Or you maybe said to some friends who had become a couple, you were just made for each other, right? That's God's intended purpose for you. you were, he made you for himself. He made you to have a perfect relationship with him for all of eternity. And because we messed that up, that relationship was broken, but Jesus put it all back together. And Egypt, he says to us, say, now trust me. Believe me when I tell you that God's love is for you. And he offers Thomas and you and me this morning this, this complete correction because he ends up in verse 7 by saying this, if you've seen me and you've known me, you've seen God and you know God. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus says, I've, I've come in order for you to know your heavenly Father. Notice the language. I know not all of us had a perfect relationship with our dads growing up, but every person in this room always wanted that. You always wanted to have the perfect relationship with your dad, didn't you? I did, right? Your mom, too. We always want to have that relationship with our parents that's life-giving and nourishes our souls and encourages us along the pathway and teaches us right from wrong and how to do little dumb things like ride a bike and bigger things like how to balance a checkbook and not waste all your money, right? I think about what my children learned in the classrooms of the school on Sunday mornings. I'm eternally grateful for that. Our Heavenly Father sent his one and only son so that we could have this assurance that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. I don't have a ton of application for you this morning, but maybe some things to think about, a couple things to think about. Uh, first is that Jesus did and is doing his job. <laughs> he went to the cross, right? He suffered and he died. He rose again on the third day. He ascended into heaven and he paid for your sins and for my sins. The architect did his job. You saw that in the, in the video this morning, right? He, I think he really got it right, uh, as, as right as it could be done. Uh, I think the question is, is, what's our part to play now? So we think about our move. And my prayer for us is not so much what we ought to do, but rather that people would see our faith and our trust in our Heavenly Father, that they would experience through our words and our actions inside the building, outside the building, in a coffee shop, at a pub over a beer, at a, at a hockey rink, at a baseball game, or, or in our sanctuary, the assurance of grace that we have, that they would see Jesus as our true home abiding in us. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the answer that Jesus gave Thomas. He didn't chide him. He didn't uh, get angry with him. Rather, he lovingly spoke the assurance that Thomas and, and all of the disciples, including the disciples in this room, need to hear. Our hearts are frail. They, they are fragile. We uh, we get fearful, we get confused, we live in a broken world, and we need the assurance that Jesus has prepared and is preparing a place for us for all of eternity. So in the now but not yet, Lord, I pray that we would remember as, as we leave North Kirkwood Middle School and move down the street that it's not about a place, it's about our home being in the person of Jesus Christ forever. Lord, would you please use Green Tree individually as disciples, but also collectively to share that with this world. 
We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship.
my voice will scratch your eye. I try to woo too, but I can't. Uh, I've lost a little of my voice. Hey, our prayer team is always over here. Uh, the Dinkoffs, uh, his aunt and uncle, although I don't know if they're here this morning, but if not, they have a the whole team. They are here? Good. You got a shout out from uh, your nephew in the first service. So he said that every prayer you, you pray is answered perfectly right away. So <laughs> he didn't say that. I'm just messing with him. Uh, but they're over here. If they can pray for you about anything, we would love to do that. I stand by that door. I'd love to meet you if you're new to Green Tree. And just a quick uh, mention, next Sunday, right after the second service, we're moving a lot of stuff into the building. So the building will be open from about noon to about 2 or 3. If you haven't yet gotten a chance to get in, stop by after church, after the second service next Sunday, and you can, you can kind of run through and say everything. Now receive the Lord's benediction, which I gladly offer to you in his name. And now to the one who gives the perfect assurance, the way, the truth, and the life, the one who leads us to the Father, to him be glory in this world and in the world to come. Amen. The Lord bless you. Go in peace.